Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. Well, now that the drama that roiled the U.S. House Republican Caucus and delayed Congress in commencing the 2023 session has finally subsided, attention in the Capitol has turned in recent days to an array of important policy issues facing the nation, including the federal debt ceiling, the future of abortion rights, and the urgent ongoing need in several states, including North Carolina, to make health insurance accessible to millions of low-income working people. Earlier this week, I got a chance to get an update on all of these issues and more in a conversation with one of North Carolina's newest members of Congress, Triangle Area Representative Wiley Nickel. And as Nickel told me, while the divisions he's encountered in D.C. remain large and daunting, he hasn't given up hope for at least some bipartisan cooperation. Congressman Wiley Nickel, welcome to News and Views. Thanks so much for being back with us. Thanks for having me. My goodness, you've been a member of Congress for just a few weeks, but so many important things going on, not the least of which is a national crisis of sorts anyway, with respect to this debt ceiling that the United States hit for the first time recently. Treasury Secretary Yellen told leaders last week that her office would begin to use extraordinary measures in the short term to avoid it becoming a real crisis. I wonder, though, what what's your take on it? Is there a chance for common ground? Are both sides really dug in? What What would you like to see happen? What I'd like to see is a clean vote to raise the debt ceiling. That's what we need for our country. And, and, and I think it's important to make clear to everybody that raising the debt ceiling isn't about new spending. It's about paying money that we've already agreed to pay for, you know, spending that we've already agreed on. So it's something that we've done three times under President Trump without any issues. What's very concerning, though, is, you know, the, to hear that there's a a fringe group of Republicans in Congress who want to hold our country's economy hostage over this. The place, if you, you have issues about spending, which I agree to, we, we spend too much. We need to make sure, you know, we're not spending my kids and, you know, people's grandkids into oblivion here. The place to do that is when we talk about the budget. That's when we ought to be doing it. So I'm hopeful that we don't have another crisis here. You know, we've never had the full faith and credit of the U.S. government called into question by defaulting on our debt ever. And we've got to get this passed. And we've got to pass a budget, too. Those are the two that must do things in this Congress. And it's going to take Democrats and Republicans working together to get it done. And I'm committed to doing everything I can to make sure that that happens. There was a time when you and I were both younger men in which the country was actually, gosh, during the Clinton years, making some real headway in paying down the national debt and doing away with the deficit. And there was maybe a better balance between spending and taxes. It seems like a lot of this crisis that's emerged in the United States, you know, running big deficits has been a function of the tax cuts that were implemented during the Bush years, uh, particularly targeting people of wealth. And it seems that we've never really gotten away from that. And I, I can't imagine that that hasn't played a big role in this ongoing uh, deficit and growing debt that the nation faces. You are exactly right. It's a conversation we need to have. It's, you know, number one about fiscal responsibility. We need to control our spending. But the other side of the equation is we have cut taxes for corporations and the wealthy so much over the last few decades here. And when you have less money, you run up these big deficits. That's absolutely something that has to be part of the discussion. And I'm committed to doing everything I can to, to make progress on both fronts. 
you've alluded to the fact we you know we're going to need to pass a budget, hopefully a comprehensive budget. One area that I know you've expressed concern about. It's interesting. It's a bipartisan group has expressed concern about defense spending. Now that's an issue, obviously near and dear to a lot of North Carolinians' hearts. We have a lot of a big military presence in this state. I know you've expressed concerns about that there could actually be mandated budget cuts even for defense in the coming year. I wonder what your take on that is. Yeah, no, what we heard about when we had this vote for a speaker is one of the far-right extremist sort of demands was to have cross-the-board budget cuts, which for defense spending would equal close to $75 billion, which would be a huge cut for defense spending. It would hit North Carolina very hard. My congressional district has Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in it. I get down to Harnett County, which gets really close to Fort Bragg. So those are industries that are certainly very important for this district. But at a time when when we're helping support Ukraine and supporting democracy in Ukraine as, as Putin continues to attack that democracy, we need to support our allies. And what I fear that that is, is, is an attempt to try to cut spending in that particular part of the world, as well as our preparedness to have a strong national defense. And it's not often that you get to hear Democrats talking about that, but this is a, a very unusual Congress. And and now, you know, the Republicans are seemingly the ones talking about slashing defense spending. It is a fascinating development. I mean, have you, do you have any late takes on what's happening in Ukraine? It seems to be a, a very dangerous moment there these days. And it seems as if, my goodness, Putin seems bent on continuing his oppression. And uh, it's going to take a pretty strong response from allies to keep him from just obliterating that country, it seems sometimes. Yeah. In Congress, we hear about people concerned about the spending in Ukraine. I wish we didn't have to spend any money in Ukraine. But if we don't, we're going to have to spend 100 times more in other parts of the world containing an emboldened and aggression Putin and Russia. So the money we spend now is, is a drop in the bucket. It is in our national interest to support democracy anywhere in the world, especially in Ukraine. I'm talking with Congressman Wiley Nickel, who's a new member of Congress representing the 13th District here in North Carolina. Lucky 13. <laughs> exactly. There's so much legislation you've been working on that's being considered even in these early days. The Cover Now Act, this is one that really got my attention. This is about states that have, like one I can think of, North Carolina, that have refused to cover or expand Medicaid coverage. Can you talk? tell us what this legislation would be about, maybe what it would do if we could somehow get it seriously considered? Well, you know, it was one of the first bills I co-sponsored. And what it would do is with that was it would allow local governments to expand Medicaid in states that haven't agreed to do so. I can certainly point to a lot of local governments in my congressional district who, if they had the ability to do that, certainly would. It's a way to get around state legislatures who continue to bury their head in the sand with the mountains of data we have showing that Medicaid expansion is great for our economy. It's great for public health. And it's something we've got to do. I'm hopeful that we get the the last remaining states, of which North Carolina is one of the very few last remaining states that hasn't accepted federal funds for Medicaid expansion. And so I'm hopeful that the Republicans and uh, and you know the Democrats in the legislature will expand Medicaid in a bipartisan way in the coming weeks. But you know if they don't, Congress has tools to act, and I'm going to continue pushing on this uh, as much as I can because we need to expand Medicaid. Yeah, indeed, Congress has already made it easier and easier for the state to do this, right? I mean, they keep upping the ante in terms of what they're paying for it and making clear it'll never be repealed. It does seem that 
perhaps even Republican lawmakers in the General Assembly have finally started to get that message. And it's just a matter, perhaps, of we hope of them just coming to agreement on some side issues that are really pretty much unrelated to Medicaid expansion. I just still struggle with this debate so much because if anybody listening, you know, were there and and someone walked up and said, hey, we'd like to give you $4 billion of economic activity every year. What do you say? I'd say, yes, that's a good thing. 95% paid for by the federal government. That's that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. The hospitals are even willing to tax themselves, it sounds like, to come up with 5%. So it's a, it is a remarkable state of affairs. We just keep our fingers crossed. This is finally the year. There are a couple other issues I want to hit with you before I let you go. One is, of course, we've just had the 50th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision. And uh, of course, some of your Republican colleagues in the U.S. House are already moving forward with legislation now that Roe versus Wade has been overruled to actually um, pass anti-abortion legislation at the federal level. This is sort of striking to me because I thought that the whole point of the Roe versus Wade reversal was that now this is a matter for the states. But I guess we're learning maybe it's not a matter for the states as far as some of the folks on the other side of this debate are concerned. I just know, you know, in our campaign, we campaigned on protecting a woman's right to choose. That was a central issue in my election in a race that a lot of people didn't think I'd win. You know, we had 538.com said we had a 20% chance of winning just days before the election. And we won in, in large part because when you take a, when you strip away 50 years of rights, people get upset and they vote on it. And they did in my race. You know, I'm going to continue doing everything I can to fight to protect a woman's right to choose. And it was confusing, I guess, for me to see that one of the first things my Republican colleagues came out with in terms of bills on the floor were bills to, to continue to strip away a woman's right to choose and make abortion action that much harder. But I, I firmly expect we will see a continued push on the state level and the federal level to strip away these reproductive health rights. And I'm going to continue fighting and doing everything I can. But I take so much encouragement with the results of my election because this was a central issue. We campaigned on it and people came out and made their voice heard. And in many cases, you know, we're talking about Republican voters, you know, and independents who voted for me and voted for a number of other Republicans. But, you know, because of, you know, my position and my opponent's position, you know, we got to send a message with the win. And I hope it's one that people in Washington will hear. It does seem that that was one of the key messages that was sent during the November election. And we just hope that it continues to be a message that's sent more and more. I'll get you out of here on this one. We'll come to the end of our time with Congressman Wiley Nickel. The Food and Drug Administration announced today that uh, proposed a simplified approach for future vaccination efforts, allowing most adults and children to get a once a year shot to protect against the mutating COVID virus. And this means you wouldn't have to keep track every, you know, how many shots have you got and carry around your card to make sure when did I get the last booster and all that stuff. I I know boosters have been a hard sell, but are you hoping maybe Congress can set aside political division when it comes to COVID and embrace maybe this more simplified approach as we go forward? I'm very hopeful. The vaccine, the boosters, they are safe and effective. They save lives. And it's an area where we are seeing more and more of a bipartisan consensus that this is incredibly good for public health. It's incredibly beneficial for our economy. And it's something that uh, I'm going to continue pushing on with a number of groups. One of the groups that I've joined too is a group called the Problem Solvers Caucus, made up equally of Democrats and Republicans. This is something that I expect we're going to be working on in the coming weeks as well. 
One last question. Any uh, indications on committee assignments yet? Or are you still hope that will that be coming soon when you'll know which committees you'll be serving? We are. We should know this week about committee assignments. We should have some, hopefully some good news for issues that matter for, for this district. And, you know, as a freshman, you know, there's some committees that are, that are tough to get as a freshman, but others, you know, where we're making a real good case with my colleagues about how I can best represent North Carolina. As a freshman, a lot of the work you get to do depends on which committee you're on in terms of legislation you can actually get passed. So it's a very important thing and we're working hard to get on a few good ones. Thank you so much for your service. Please stay safe. Take care. Good luck. We've been talking with Congressman Wiley Nickel of North Carolina's 13th District, our newly elected congressman. Much success in the coming term, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks again, Rob. Coming up next, we'll catch up on the state of U.S. immigration policy with one of the nation's most knowledgeable advocates. Don't go away. 